Welcome to the Data-Centric Podcast, where we explore leading practices for becoming a data-first organization. Our guest today is a true pioneer in data governance and management. Michael Atkin is the founder of the Enterprise Data Management Council and the co-founder of the Enterprise Knowledge Graph Foundation. At some point in his career, he chaired the U.S. Data and Technology Committee for U.S. Treasury. He also led the development of the financial industry business ontology uh, to create a common semantic language uh, for financial services. In our wide-ranging conversation today, Michael breaks down core principles like identity, meaning, and standards. We discuss how knowledge graphs and semantic technologies unlock new capabilities, and he also emphasizes the need uh, for information literacy amongst leadership and also cautions against rushing into data-centric implementations without proper foundations. In our talk today, Michael provides a lot of inspirational advice on running the digital transformation. I'm thrilled to have this data management luminary on the show today. Here's my conversation with Michael Atkin. Hi, Michael. Thanks for being on the podcast. Good morning, Ruben. Thank you for inviting me. Um, let's start by you telling us your story, how you, uh, you arrived at the data-centric worldview. You know, it's a, it's a strange and sordid story, to be sure. I, um, I started in data way back in 1985, and I started working for an organization called the Information Industry Association, which was all the publishers, right? These are all the big publishers who owned content, and I watched them discover the meaning of data management because their product was content. They thought their product was the medium that they were selling in newspapers, books, market research reports, etc. And then all of a sudden discovered, what does it mean to manage data? And they had to do so through a bunch of technology uh, innovations and revolutions, you know, from print to microfilm to CD to online, you know, etc. And each and every time, they had to understand what does it mean to manage the data, not to manage either our business practices or our medium, right? And um, um, I was in that, and, and I was mostly in the financial industry, and I was uh, fortunate to be sitting in the middle as the analyst and marriage counselor between uh, stock exchanges, uh, data vendors, and large financial institutions and banks. So I was kind of looking at it from all dimensions, and I'm the neutral facilitator, which is a role I have always played. And it was at that time that I got uh, invited to my first uh, regulatory advisory committee. I was sitting on the SEC's Market Data Advisory Committee. This was all about data billing and proprietary rights and commercial issues and and, and, and the like, but you did begin to understand the dynamics of the data management world. Uh, from there, I uh, entered not just the front office, which was market data, but now the back office, which is reference data, right? And reference data is all the entities and processes and requirements, et cetera, associated with making those decisions. And that's where data management becomes really important, right? because reference data is all the contractual and legal obligations needed to conduct all these financial processes. After that, um, the, the, all the banks got together and they asked me to come and form the um, Enterprise Data Management Council, right? So this is the EDM Council, where um, we looked at um, 
kind of the rise of um, the chief data officer, the importance of data management. We started to understand the challenges of fragmentation, right? You know, you have uh, silos and different kinds of techn technical infrastructures to deal with. They were all thinking about data as a golden copy. So it was the rise of that centralized repository of golden copy. And of course, it was the beginning of um, governance. Um, for me, I discovered what I called the four horsemen of the data management apocalypse during that time. And, and uh, those are um, uh, ignorance, arrogance, obsolescence, and power, right? So you have to deal with that organizational dynamic. And if you don't recognize upfront that you're dealing in that environment, then the rest of this does not have a chance to get, um, to get um, um, on their agenda. You know, it was during this time that I did um, our, our first maturity model. So I created the data management maturity model, which I sold to Carnegie Mellon, which was integrated into the CMMI process for um, um, well, regulators and the like. Um, as I was doing that, we experienced a financial crisis, right? So this is 2008 and you know the world melts down and um, uh, in 2010, they released Dodd-Frank, you know, the, the uh, um, kind of wholesale restructure of the regulatory environment. And we were thinking about the problem of linked risk, right? They call it systemic risk. It's really globally interconnected processes of which you have cascading implications, right? So... During that, I was invited to um, serve on the U.S. Treasury's Financial Research Advisory Committee. So I was the chairman of their data committee as they were looking into what do we do about this problem, right? Um, and, and, the, and the key problem for us in a data perspective was um, um, who are these entities? What do they hold? Uh, how are they structured? What are the obligations? Uh, you know, who's uh, guaranteeing what? Who's financing whom? What happens when there is a problem and who's left holding the bag at the end when you try to figure out, you know, who pays whom? Could not do that, right? And uh, I was also uh, invited to serve on the technical advisory committee from the um, uh, CFTC, the, the, uh, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission for Derivatives. At the same time, we had flash boys and, and all of this algorithmic trading. And, and you know, all of this has this huge data component. Um, the realization out of that was um, a lot of the infrastructure was missing. Like, for example, in Dodd-Frank, they basically ordered two things. Um, identify all the legal entities and identify the meaning of all of the data that sits in all the repositories. You have two most critical functions in data management. So I sat as um, a member of the um, uh, Financial Stability Board's uh, legal entity, uh, you know, public sector advisory group. I was trying to figure out how to do this, how to implement um, um, identification um, um, across all the legal entities. At that time, I came up with my, um, my phrase of the... Um, 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 three principles of data management, you know, the holy trinity, I called it, of data management, which is identify, describe, and express in standards, which is the outcome that we must all do. 
Right after that, uh, Columbia University came to me and said, um, would you be interested in creating a course on data management? Um, which I did. So I created a course for Columbia, taught it for four years on the principles of data management. Um, and then um, during that process, um, and forgive me for this long-winded story, but during that process, I realized that we were all doing kind of the baseline of data management. I called it core data management, getting the concept defined and implemented in an organization, the rise of governance. But governance does not fix the problem. Right? The problem is caused by data fragmentation, technology all over the place, proprietary systems, misalignments, et cetera, um, rigid structures. Um, um, and um, um, I was doing, at that time, the, um, the first financial industry business ontology. Right? So during the crisis, one of the things was, what does all this data mean across all these repositories? So we discovered, of course, uh, um, and it's a long story, I can get into that at some other point if you like, but, but when I was doing FIBO, um, I realized that um, these semantic standards of data meaning, managing the meaning of things, do solve the problem, right? So you must do core data management, you must have governance, you got to do all that basic framework and foundation. Doesn't really fix your problem of fragmentation, but the adoption of semantic standards does. And now I've just been on a quest to see if I can explain that in plain language to the key stakeholders that make these decisions, because it is so straightforward and, and, and uh, clear. Um, and if we cut through all the technology noise and stop talking about how it works, and get them to understand data management as a key component of their organizational infrastructure, then you can expedite its adoption. So that's the current quest. And, uh, you know. That's a fascinating story. Absolutely fascinating. And uh, it seems very obvious, right? That uh, if you want to put information first, then uh, managing the meaning of things or managing the meaning of things at scale should be something natural. You know, it's right. natural to us because we're data geeks. Uh, for the most part, the world is technology driven. And there's been some amazing technology innovations. And each and every time we're able to f uh, process it faster and faster and integrate it more and more. And we were able to develop lots and lots of innovation off of that technology infrastructure. So the big organizations that sprung up were mostly to manage the technology poor data, you know, the meaning of Aristotelian meaning of data is not, you know, we, it's, it's kind of funny. We always accept that the data is accurate and that you flip the data switch and the data comes out and it's accurate, but it turns out that's not the case. You know, it's not always accurate, certainly not aligned together across uh, systems and processes. And now it's stuck in these rigid relational processes. So yes, um, it is obvious, um, but it is not understood. So we need to simplify our story. It's not simplistic, but it needs to be simplified in order to penetrate what I call the cognitive screen that all these entities have, right? They're, you know, top of the house, you know, the senior executive stakeholders, very, very smart people. They've got 47 
57 things to think about, of which data is not one of them. So you got to put it on their agenda and say, why is this worthy of being one of the three that you care the most about? That's our task. Uh, so what's the messaging that you think works the most? You know, um, um, in an organization, we currently understand technology, people, and processes as the core factors of input into operations. And most top of the house are managing those three things, people, process, and technology. Well, data is your lifeblood. It's you know, your customers, your products, your systems, your supply chain, et cetera. Why is this one missing from that activity, yeah. right? So it was really, well, I think... Gartner has been trying to insert it for years, right? As well, the fourth component. Everybody, under, if you understand it, it's clear, right? If, if you don't understand it, it's like, you know, oh, I got to learn all this new language about, you know, Python and R and whatever else, you know, came up, you know, every other day. No, they don't have time to do that. That's what they hire their you know, data officers and technology officers to do. They're trying to deal with different problems. So we've got a cognition problem, right? That's what people call information literacy, although it's kind of a, you know, you don't want to call people illiterate, but we have to uh, tell a better story. That's what yeah. Because they must... And, um... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I didn't mean just one more thing. They also must understand not only that data has meaning and the meaning needs to be managed, but that the data is stuffed into all of these um, relational um, um, systems, right? And relational systems have been uh, really good for processing and computation for years and years and years, but they're very rigid. Right? And, and, and things are structured with schemas and definitions are separate and, and assumptions are explicit and it's rigid structures. In an interconnected world, all of that rigidity is a liability when you're trying to be flexible. And we discovered this in the financial crisis as well. It's, it's the what-if scenario. How do you do ad hoc query? How do you look at multiple viewpoints? The reality is, in a relational world, you've got to unravel all that stuff and recreate it just in order to look at it to follow your intuition. Put that all together, right? It's an overwhelming business case of value. The other side of the coin is that we have failed to make the overwhelming business case of the cost, right? And there's a cost to doing this, and we can get into that later on. But if you're going to make a business case to penetrate this cognitive screen, we've got to be honest. You know, here's why, here's what, here's how, here's what it costs, here's the disruption it will cause, this is the skill sets that are missing. You know, it's a, it's a new paradigm, I hate the word, but new paradigm to understand. Yes. Um... So let's talk about the data-centric paradigm. How do you uh, define data centricity? And um, okay, how you would explain it to a kid, and how you would explain it? Uh, how, how would you explain it to a kid, and how would you explain it to an executive? Yeah, let me first say um, um, my initial reaction was almost like information literacy. 
the goal is not to become data centric. Data centric is not a goal, right? The goal is to, you know, sell products, make money, serve customers, right? Um, um, so data centric, I think just means recognize this is the factor of input into all your processes, recognize the problems of fragmentation and structural rigidity, recognize the business frustration, recognize the fact that people cannot respond to changing circumstances, recognize the frustration, the costs, et cetera, right? So, so I put it in terms of the three C's, right? And the first one is cost, right? So all this reconciliation, moving data, trying to integrate it. You can't eliminate redundancies. You can't automate. Um, the cost of um, poor data management, and I've done the research twice now, is at least 30% of your total IT budget, at least. You can just wipe that off the top. Capability is what everybody wants, right? You know, give your analysts the tools to be able to understand their customers, understand markets, manage their products, you know, uh, innovate and invent, right? That's, that's our goal. And then control, right? This is the regulatory push. How do you deal with risk, right? And privacy and fraud and, and intellectual property protection and, you know, systemic linkages. So the three C's are now kind of standard KPIs that all top of the house understands. So when you talk about data centric, it's really just recognize data as the factor of input it is, recognize the problems of your current environment, recognize that you're not gonna fix it by kind of continuing to do what we've always done, reconciling, build more silos, et cetera, and recognize there's a way out of this morass, right? And the way out is standards-based, right? So this is data-centric in my opinion. So, uh, Michael, do you think that uh, there are parallels uh, between understanding what data-centricity is and um, recognizing data as an asset? I think it's the one and the same. Right, you know, um, so so if if you, you know, I, I think um, what you really want to do as a data centric organization is be able to use the data effectively, efficiently, uh, trustworthy into your processes, right? Without all this, uh, you know, reconciliation uh, and trouble, without all the data dilemma, without paying the bad data tax, right? So it is it is kind of one and the same, just another, you know. Um, uh, systems integrator buzzword, right? But it's a real thing, right? Yeah. So uh, you're the founder of uh, the Enterprise Knowledge Graph Foundation, right? I was just a co-founder. Yeah, co yeah, yeah. So um, let's uh, let's talk a bit about um, managing information um, outside of technology life cycles. Mm -hmm. So uh, let, let, let's let's talk a bit about uh, knowledge graphs as a tool that helps us manage the meanings of uh, meaning of things at scale and really helps us to manage information through this kind of constantly changing landscape of technology. Yeah. Um, I think there's, so first we got to demystify knowledge graph and recognize that knowledge graph, that's a marketing term that Google invented. Really what this is, is a bunch of standards, 
That's a bunch of standards that were actually invented by the Defense Department, DARPA, back in uh, you know, 1999, I think. And there's really only uh, four standards concepts that you care about, right? First one is identity, right? We have all these identifiers, all these um, um, location marks all over our repository. And instead, you just have a simple web address, you know, URL, I'll call it IR, institution, you know, internationalized resource identifier becomes a Rosetta Stone, right? So everything in all of your organization can be linked to one thing that has precise meaning. That changes the whole world, right? Because you're no longer moving data around. It's all linked to its meaning. It can stay where it is. We know what it is, right? So identity, and then the second one is, is meaning. Like that's what ontologies are, right? And to demystify an ontology, it's just a taxonomy with relationships, right? And, and I, I try to make it very clear to people that there are only two things that are matter. There are, you know, let's use an example. Um, this is a legal entity example, right? There's only two things, right? The first one is the simple facts about this entity. Name, its address, its uh, date of uh, registration, its, uh, you know, um, um, country of incorporation, things like that, facts, right? Simple facts. What is also relationship facts, right? Which is, uh, you know, who owns who and, and, and their relationship to other, the, the, pro the role they, they play in a process, et cetera. And the combination of simple facts and relationship facts define things precisely. No, no two things are the same when you put that together. So now meaning can be captured, defined and captured. And then you express that in the language of the web. That's the third dimension, right? So the web standards for uh, doing that, and you don't matter whether it's RDF or OWL, RDF star, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, you know it's things that uh, can be expressed in a standard way that are based on open standard processes that are well governed, right? Around the world, right? Um, because you're now managing things at a granular level and using standards will never go out of date. It's a really important selling proposition. And then finally, the rules that we all have for how to manage data, you know, combine this with that and, and check this, that, you know, and, and um, those rules, the restrictions and, and um, um, constraints around it can also be expressed in, in language. You know, a shackle is the, is the, is the language, business vocabulary. So you take those, 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 um, those four standards, right? It's very simple ideas and you get, you get eight capabilities. First you get quality, right? Cause this is now everything is done by math, right? Quality is by rule with identity and meaning managed. So all of a sudden you prevent bad data because you can evaluate it against the criteria that you've established. So mathematical quality, you get reusability, right? So one of the big problems that we all have is that we do the same thing over and over and over again in slightly different ways, right? The, the architects and engineers approach problems independently and come up with, with different, you know, uh, approaches. And now it's marriage counseling again. So instead, 
it's concept-based, and these are like building blocks. My um, One of my colleagues uh, described it as tinker toys. You, know, you just put them together, and you get to reuse them over and over again. So the cost of, of um, development falls really way down. You can understand things in context. And in fact, um, I was a philosophy major in college, and you know, identity, meaning, and time, all you need to understand everything in context, I will maintain. You know, and, and, if you, and if you understand that we've now got those capabilities, you can understand this piece of data being used in this way, meaning that because you understand its context. You can track it as it flows across systems, right? For lineage and providence and entitlement control, um, um, it is machine executable, right? Because it's all standards-based. It is uh, rules-based, so it's continuously being... So when you look at these capabilities, this is the value that you get. Most of us talk about it in terms of use cases, but really it's about these eight capabilities because they're applied in every use case. And if you don't mind, we're trying to simplify that as well. Because there's really, I think, only two reasons why people do data management. The first one is the why, the value side, right? Whether it's the three C's, control, environment, cost, capability, et cetera. That's why you're doing it. And then there's the what you do. And that what is broad, right? You know, data integration, uh, inventory control, systems analysis, uh, flexible um, uh, query, uh, data discovery. I mean, you know, you can, you can come up with many, many, many um, uh, use cases, but they actually all roll up into those um, kind of categories, all based on those capabilities, all driven by those standards. Now, if we can explain that, Ruben, simply, um, uh, the wisdom of adopting these semantic standards, I have a lot of confidence in the uh, uh, executive management that runs organizations. They're very smart. I've been able to, lucky enough to work with them. They are very, very, very capable of understanding this in context. So the onus has to be on us to explain it better. And we don't do that. We do a terrible job of explaining it. Uh, yeah, well, uh, but we're trying to learn and improve. <laughs> um, Michael, um, do you think there there will come a time where uh, things like semantics and ontologies, there will be like a standard toolkit of any business, like the market forces and the competitive landscape will uh, kind of force organizations to manage their data at scale, manage, manage meaning at scale, and things like, uh, I don't know, financial systems, things like CRMs or HR systems, they're sort of uh, very standard parts of an enterprise technology or data landscape. So do you think uh, we will arrive at a time, and if yes, when, when like uh, this semantic foundation will be a required part to be in business? Absolutely, unequivocally, the answer is yes to, to both. And I'll give you my view of um, when as well. So as the world, so, so for first you, you um, separate out that we're really talking about information intensive organizations 
whether it be regulatory driven or supply, you know, logistics driven or research driven, you know, so we know these information intensive entities living in a complex world where data is coming faster and faster at bigger and bigger quantities must be able to respond to interconnectivity. You know, things are linked together. Um, that's what we've learned from systemic risk. You know, the whole world is now an interdependent system of which the data must be able to be applied in real time to that circumstance. And so there is no question in my mind that this is inevitable. And I think we've seen a growth curve of adoption almost like that hockey stick so far. Um, you know, faster than I think I've ever seen any other system be adopted, including internet standards. I think cement standards are on their way. I will, um, uh, two years ago, I said five years um, would be the uh, uh, adoption. I'm going I'm to stick with that. I'm going to say three years, right? What is that? Uh, 26. It's going to be de, de rigueur for almost everybody. Um, and we can see now that it is in the innovation lab of almost every company, every major company that's, that's you know, worth its salt. Um, some of them are making their way into operational implementation. The toolkits are becoming standardized. The platform providers are excellent. You know, this is, this is not a problem of capability from the platform providers. They all, they all work as advertised. Okay. Well, you know, yeah, so there's, it's one, uh, I call it organizational inertia, and that's including the cognitive problem. There's also a skill set gap, right? We, you know, this is not really known, and people have to figure this out on their own, so that's hard. Um, there is the um, um, impatience, you know, um, you know, in order to implement a knowledge graph environment, there are foundational components, there are technology components, there are supply chain, you know, of uh, pipeline components that you've got to manage. And there's cost of, of conversion and, and migration. So it's, it's not without its challenges, but it's inevitable because you can't continue to race against the complexity of the world by trying to reformat your tables and create more you know, good foreign keys. And you know, I was talking to one big bank, looking at their risk models, and it's like, you know, 20, 30, 40 tables deep trying to link things together. The complexity of it is overwhelming. You can't manage that complexity in a rigid environment. So, you know, long answer, Ruben. I think it's inevitable and it's happening right now. And, and I hope fear of missing out is the driver to get people to, uh, you know, uh, advance this. Yeah. Um, so... What's the most important advice that uh, you'd give to, let's say, a digital leader, right? An executive director, like any person who is uh, like in a leadership position and they want to advance the data-centric paradigm, like the ideas of data centricity, make their organization more data-centric. What's, um, or <clears throat> maybe 
try to think of like do's and don'ts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, first is understand that you're building the infrastructure for the digital world that you live in. So once we understand data as part of that infrastructure, the data infrastructure, a lot of cognition flows from that. The second is um, um, don't rush headlong into trying to get the end application, use case application, because you must build some foundational components, right? So that's a patience preach, if you will, very difficult in, in today's environment. The corollary, the good news to that is um, this stuff is all, can be done incrementally if you so desire, right? You build your foundation, you build some critical use cases to demonstrate value and deliver uh, capability to people that they really need. And then there are related use cases so that the cost of implementation is dramatically reduced each and every time you roll out another use case, as long as they share some of the capabilities. So you can do this at a at a um, um, managed in a managed way, and all of a sudden you are you know, you've stopped adding new applications to your legacy environment. Oh, as a first step. And then you're starting to reconcile some of, and then you then you can replace. But don't try to replace everything up front, right? You know, build, you know, patience, build your infrastructure, roll it out, engineer the thing wisely. Right? Most a lot of the mistakes that are being made early on is the rush to um, implementation, resulting in a technical compromise, resulting in a stinking mess that fails, of which there's little chance of recovery. So don't do that. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. I, I'm going to ask you about uh, the most advanced organization that you have seen, or maybe like, you don't have to name names uh, or say specific organizations, but what's, uh, what's a uh, kind of data centric architectures or maybe sort of principles or solutions that you have seen that is uh, most advanced or has most, has most fascinated you that like you have seen to date? Well, it's, um, um, I was with you talking to the very last part because, um, let's be clear, Ruben, the, the, the thing that we're doing with this data is integration, right? We're trying to integrate data into our environments and applications not the most sexy thing in the world. In order to do that, you got to create inventory of, you know, what people process data, technologies, requirements. So you're building these inventory systems of all of your activity in a standardized way. Um, and then once you get that implemented, the first application that takes off is uh, critical systems analysis and, and your internal um, um, uh, systems planning, right? And your resource allocation, right? So that's why you see um, 
financial services on have to they have to demonstrate lineage and provenance to the regulators and be able to automate their their processes. You see um, logistics management uh, for people who are trying to move things across some um, you know uh, geographies. You see lots of manufacturing applications who are trying to understand allocations like energy. You know, how do we allocate and, and manage all of the systems that we have to 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 do? Um, so they're not very sexy, right? But they are absolutely essential for operations. So I see all of those happening right now. So uh, pharma, life sciences, manufacturing, financial services, to some degree, um, uh, some um, uh, governments like you know, NASA and DOD and, and, and other processes like the United Nations. I mean, you, you can see a lot of um, uh, food, food um, uh, system, anything that's supply management uh, related, uh, any of that is, uh, is gold. Yeah. But uh, so those are industries, right? Or like use cases and industries. But I'm, I'm constantly um, kind of look out or like on a hunt for um, kind of fascinating stories, like, you know, data centric achievements that people admire, right? Something that's like, this is like, wow, like these people, like I know from whichever company they did, um, they, they came up with this solution that absolutely everybody has admired, right? Or they maybe well, applied you can, some you new look, principles. You can look at the unicorns, yeah. right? So, um, yeah. uh, Google, Amazon, Uber, um, yeah, they're, all, they're all, uh, you know, uh, they're all semantic. They're all based in, you know, in this technology that, and that's why they're so good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, uh, LinkedIn does a really good job of it. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 those stories exist. The, the problem is most companies aren't unicorns, right? You know, this is now has to be integrated into, um, you know, uh, uh, general operations. You know, I, I know that um, I've been working with, um, uh, you know, some of the pharmaceutical companies, you know, they, they are, you know, are quick to adopt. And I think the best story right now is the Montessori hospital system. Um, you know, hospitals and patients and, and billing and, and, um, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've chatted with, I, I've chatted, uh, uh, with Parsa Miraje. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who I think was kind of at the root of that. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to, uh, I, I'd love to have him on the podcast and, uh, share a bit more than he did on my course <laughs> yes. with our audience. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, but, so we're seeing those applications. I have um, I have actually put together a list of um, companies that are doing good stuff, which I'm happy to share with you if you like. You know, you know these are yeah. 50 companies that I know are doing um, knowledge graph implementation effectively. My uh, <clears throat> kind of unicorns uh, that I see are doing really amazing things uh, on Wall Street. They um, over and over again, refuse to talk about it publicly. So I yeah, couldn't yeah. get so them I, to I, talk. I know what they're doing uh, too. And they all want... yeah. Yeah. You know, for some reason, they think there's a competitive advantage to being able to manage your data more effectively. And there is an advantage. There is. But the there real is. advantage is that we're all doing it. And, you know, we get rid of this problem of, yeah. you know, that yeah, data's not a problem. Data's a resource, right? You know, yeah, let's let's just fix the data. 
I, th I think people can replicate your kind of ideas uh, about architecture and technology and how you manage data. But what, what is really hard to replicate is the culture because culture takes time to build. It's how you approach kind of people. It's not just robots, right? So if you really build a strong culture around data and data management, that should be hard to replicate. And then you can probably speak freely about it. You know, about uh, the architectures. That's, that, that's, the, that's easy to say. But it is the hardest. Yep. It is the biggest option. The hardest, absolutely. Right. So, yeah. So not not the, saying it's easy. No, no, no. I, th I think it's it's critical. Thank you for bringing it up. The um, the organizational uh, inertia, um, particularly, it's kind of funny because at the very top, they can understand this easily and commit to data centric, and those that are at the technical bottom certainly understand it but the eight ten twelve layers of management inside between those two things is where the challenge is right push back lack of understanding i don't want to change afraid of risk if i lift my head up i get it chopped off um, i've only got five years before i retire to my lake whatever it is and i've documented all this you know, that is, that is wicked, right? So we need to be able to overcome this organizational challenge. And, and that's why um, um, if you embrace the center of excellence concept of an entity that you empower to facilitate this change with authority, you know, to you know, to do this, then because you can do it incrementally, right? It's not rip and replace. It's not a big spend. It's an or it's a cultural shift. So um, my my next um, my next um, inquiry is going to be how people are building those centers of excellence. What's required? How should they be structured? And what should they do? Because I think that's the key to effective management. You know, some, somebody's got to be responsible, right? So maybe a, a question that's related to that, how do you structure your digital leadership roles like CDOs, CIOs, CTOs, and the likes? Um, well, um, you know, you, you, need, uh, you need some vision. You need someone who is um, able to be uh, manager, diplomat, technologist, um, data architect, um, um, uh, magician, you know, uh, a judge, <laughs> jury, executioner, yeah. right? You know, so yeah. uh, fi finding the leader is critical. Um, providing air cover so that they don't have to fight through that organizational morass quite as much. Um, and some visible support, right? Because, and, and what I found, at least in the financial industry, is people want to do a good job. They want to do the right thing. And they're very, very smart. So if it's clear that top of the house believes this is important and the right thing, and that they will make it organizational policy, then People want to follow because that's what, that, you know, they're all skilled um, um, executives. 
One of the big problems is the inability so far to make this part of policy, right? And once that occurs, then you eliminate a lot of the obstacles, right? And 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 yeah, yeah, and and, and the uh, the top exec must understand all of that level of organizational bureaucracy that uh, is pushing back against change. And this is inevitable change. So th that's the information literacy objective, if you will, right? To get people to understand that. Um, I, I think like, I, at least like in, uh, from my experience, um, I think that the data function or that information function, whatever, it should uh, re report to the uh, CEO. So the person who's responsible for this holistic view of data life cycles and data economy in the company, uh, the CEO, they should have enough literacy to be able to structure it so that uh, there aren't conflicts between different um, uh, between executives that are based on data. Because in many companies, you can see uh, data being uh, used as a weapon in turf wars. Yeah. It's yeah. just like territorial wars uh, uh, on executive level. And uh, it's not a it's not a technical problem. It's pure politics. So a couple of things in there. Um, um, first of all, this must not be in technology. This is not a technology problem. Technology is your partner, but technology has a different problem, right? Store, move, integrate, rather than meaning and and the flexibility. It also depends upon the culture of your organization, right? So it's not always the same place. Um, uh, so you must understand the um, power structure of your own organization, who has influence, who is an obstacle, um, and why. Um, I have seen people do this very successfully from the chief administrative officer's role the chief operating officer's role and the chief financial officer's role, um, the chief risk officer's role. So I've seen all of those work well. Um, the CEO is really the one to give, you know, depending on, and I'm usually talking about big companies, so it just depends on the size and structure of the company. Um, one of the problems is the CDO, you know, kind of the junior member of the C-suite, is still doing all the requirements for core data management, right? Inventory and and uh, systems uh, uh, tracing and people management and you know budget and you know, tools and platforms and you know, and those, we've been throwing our data mess into the corner for thirty years, and now we hire a chief data officer to say, okay, go fix it. You know, and it, you know, there's a lot of mess to fix. So you, you must do that kind of core stuff and adopt these semantic standards. My hope is that ultimately the CDO um, is the place where, of course, the pathway to implementation is done using um, knowledge graph uh, techniques and semantic standards. Well, I hope for that too. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with uh, our audience? Maybe as um, some kind of a <clears throat> summary advice or like one main takeaway that you'd like everybody to, uh, to just remember from this podcast? 
Um, yes. Um, in my observation, there have been three revolutions that have changed our world. The first one was um, the IT revolution um, that um, gave us systems interoperability across our area. It changed the world, right? This is way mm -hmm. back, yeah. Yeah. IBM stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mouse and, and, and uh, you know, MS DOS and all those yeah. things. It's changed the world, right? Yeah. Then there was network interoperability, right? This is the era of internet, TCP IP and HTML and changed the world. Yes. We're at the third revolution right now. This is data interoperability, right? It is going to be as big as those other two revolutions, right? And this is also built on standards, IRI, um, um, RDF for ontologies and shackle for rules, yeah. right? So just remember the holy trinity of data management, right? Identify, describe, and express in standards. This is excellent, right? It's time to build yeah. the digital yeah. infrastructure for our digital world. I mean, the data infrastructure for our digital world, and that's time is right now. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Michael. This is uh, an excellent uh, way to finish our podcast today. I certainly hope to have you on it uh, in the future. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, Ruben. Thank you for covering us. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Data-Centric Podcast. Be sure to check out the links in the description for more information and resources mentioned in this episode. And if you're looking to really accelerate your data-centric journey, check out my online course, The Data-Centric Executive. Go to datacentricexecutive.com and use the coupon code PODCAST20 to get 20% off. Tune in next week as we continue exploring the world of data-centricity together.